0: Yola pon, 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 comrade. You are listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning, comrade. Jeff on the show today. Robert's not here, but uh, we do have a very special guest. We have one of the hosts of Left Reckoning coming to us uh, on uh, fr- from Austin, Texas. We have David Gristom. How are you doing, David?
1: I'm good, man. So stoked to be here.
0: We don't always let uh, University of Texas fans on the show, but this time we'll make an exception just for you,
1: I'm glad for it. I'm glad for it.
0: (laughs) So uh, anyway, I want to talk to you. um, So actually, first, you could talk a little bit about, um, you're the host of a show called Left Reckoning. You want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, um, you know, I've been doing this for a little while, but uh, Left Reckoning is a program that covers politics, um, both national and international, but... Uh, with a special focus on the South and with Texas mainly um, we also do a bit of 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 the Midwest as well. my co-host Matt is from North Dakota and you know we've been in that sort of milieu of like left wing media left wing politics for a while. Um, we used to work on the Michael Brooks show uh, podcast
0: R&D and King.
1: yeah, you know and he was obviously a huge influence on on both of us and you know an incredible person people should check him out if they haven't mm-hmm. listened to any of his work before but um, you know, uh, one of the things that we, like we really want to do, I think one a moment that really struck me is like, so I'm from I'm from Texas. I also went to high school in South Carolina. Um, don't need to go through no. my whole life story, but where'd yeah, you, where'd you
0: go in South Carolina?
1: I was in Myrtle Beach. Oh um, no, That's cool. yeah, it was a very funny town, very funny <laughs> place to go from Austin. But you know, I got love for 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 South Carolina. Don't get me wrong, but you know, when I was living up um, in in New York, um, I, I lived up th- there for about three years. I just became like endlessly frustrated about the way that one the south was talked about generally by people up there but more importantly how in, in like left media there seemed to be a massive like blind spot for what was happening in southern politics and you know I remember particularly during the the height of like the George Floyd protests In Austin, there were massive mobilizations of people um, and there was a successful move to sort of reorient some of the police funding. And if you remember, like that was when the big argument was about is defund the police a good strategy or not. And without even taking a position on that, um, it was just frustrating to me to see how little coverage of Texas there was in like left media when like here's an example, you're seeing it play out before you and it was sort of. Mm not really considered so um you know matt and i decided when we launched left reckoning that we really want to make sure uh, that we were doing as much as possible to sort of cover what's happening in in the south in particular because there's a lot of leftists down here and they don't get a lot of play in the national left media
0: they don't get a lot of play in, in like national left media they don't get a lot of play in um a lot of organizations like dsa um, the South, I mean, so, I mean, I'm a Southern too. I still technically, I mean, I guess Virginia mm-hmm. is the South, um, officially <laughs> <laughs> there's a difference in culture from, from like, from New Orleans and, and, and Virginia, obviously, but, but, uh, let's give it to them. Um, but, but there is sort of, a, um, there's sort of a dismissal, I guess, or it feels like a dismissal of The sort of like uh, the viability perhaps Mm -hmm. or the or or some other components I'm not exactly sure how to put my finger on it of like what the South is what what the South is Mm -hmm. what the South is capable of like what people in the South are capable of and also like it it's it's almost like it's a it's a it's a failure by um refusal to engage in a lot of Mm -hmm. situations and it it's it's really unfortunate
1: You know, and I I mean, like, I I know we're going to talk a little bit more about the South in a general second, but like, you know, like to be as kind as possible, I do think there's a a big part of it is that like one, like a lot of the big media operations are just based in New York City or LA. And the second thing is and like, you know, nothing wrong with nothing wrong with people moving or, or leaving the South, obviously, but like a lot of times people who leave the South and then end up in a New York or in an LA oftentimes don't have a lot of nice things to say. Oh yeah. And I think that also plays into a lot of the kind of thought process about what's possible here.
0: Yeah. Like they they left because they've given up in a certain mm-hmm. sense. And so exactly. like the, they, they can basically have the Southern, you know, bona fides, whatever that is and say like, Hey, I'm from the South. I've seen it down there and it ain't, mm-hmm. not, ain't nothing happening down there.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: And yeah, I don't. I'm, I don't take that perspective. I don't. Engage, I mean, I, I, a little background on myself. People in the show have heard it many times, but I mean, I was engaged in my teachers' union for many years. I was uh, actually on the Central Labor Council, the Great New Orleans AFL CIO. I was a co-chair of the DSA chapter when I left New Orleans. So, mm-hmm. like, I've definitely been like plugged in there. And I am not saying the same thing. I'm. It's tough. I was actually on the Democratic Party state and like, like the state committee and the local committee just to sort of like see what's going on there yeah, yeah. let me tell you folks it's bad
1: <laughs> yeah no it's true i mean we both like you know texas same thing
0: unfortunately <laughs> but but so, so so like texas in terms mm-hmm. of that there's like texas almost feel like it definitely is the south but it also feels like it has a, a a little bit of its own flavor to it you know it is like itself like like i mean if you think about the history of texas it literally was its own nation for a short period mm-hmm. so i mean i guess that that does at least carry over uh, I, I, I don't know you want to talk about that for a little
1: bit yeah i mean i'm happy to i mean my, my hot take on Texas is like i think more than anything it's like i, I mean like i consider myself a, a southerner and i think that ma- i get that experience mostly because like one, i'm from austin and like where i grew up and the people i grew up around and then also like spending a lot of time in, in south carolina as well um but like in texas generally like my thought process but you just have to think about texas as a as a place that's been built up um by a lot of different groups coming here right and you know some of those have been you know uh, mexican-american immigrants obviously people who've been here before texas was a thing um and then also a lot of you know significant migration from the south both black and white um and then that gets mixed with like germans and Czechs and people who come in later so like texas has a you know i think texas is a southern state i think it's unique um because like it's um All these different groups have sort of come and created something that's unique there. But I mean, frankly, like every state in the South is unique, right? Louisiana is not the same thing as Georgia. Um, So, you know, this, honestly, this, this whole, I mean, I'm I'm happy to like dig into this debate with somebody if they ever really want to get into it. I could talk about it for a couple hours if they want to. But like, really, but really, what it, you know, what it, what it comes down to with the whole question is is Texas the South or not? I think it's because Texans are mighty, Texas are mighty proud about being from Texas. (laughs) And I think that pisses
0: everybody else (laughs) out.
1: <laughs> so, th- you know what I mean? So they're happy yeah. to come at them for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no. And that's cool. And and I guess p- some people, like, have a problem with that or whatever. And I'm just sort of like, I don't know. It's it's fine. <laughs> it's a thing. It's not good or bad. It's a thing.
1: You know, but, like, I mean, you know, tech. I mean, look, um, I think that, like, particularly, like, the Western South, and I'm talking about, like, Louisiana, Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they also have a very unique history, Um um, you know, just generally, but particularly with like the people who were there, the labor movements that were there, um, that there is like, a there, there's, you know, I mean, we're neighbors, right? You know, yeah. so like we, we, we people were coming in and out um, in, in between these groups. And I do think that like, you know, sometimes even talking about the South is almost too broad, right? Because yeah, you know, Virginia is, um, you know, as far away to me as like Massachusetts sometimes. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs>
0: Yeah and and yeah it is sort of like a it, 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 it makes it really easy to just like take an entire part of like America mm-hmm. and just like write it off and say like that's the south it's over you just you can't do anything there and mm-hmm. like which which is also very funny too if you look at even like fairly recent political history if you look at florida oh actually this is Mm an extremely recent political history where they literally just passed a 15 dollars minimum wage by by um by um what's the word i'm trying to think of by ballot measure Mm -hmm. and like by that's something that you would think that like oh the yokel hook yucks in texas who vote for ron DeSantis they hate workers or whatever no The, the 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 reason that you know my sort of idea in terms of, like, states that are, like, you know, southern states that are often, like, ruled by, you know, really reactionary forces, uh, they're often... Given they often take that option because it's the more sort of like entertaining of two very very (laughs) bad options, you know what I mean? They would rather like get a little bit of catharsis by having someone who, who will like be horrible to like like it's a problem, it's definitely a problem, but they'll be Mm -hmm. horrible to like marginalized groups in a in a place because the other side, the you know Democrats in the South who bank on the strategy of being terrible uh, mm-hmm. to, to sort of, like, maintain things the way that they are, they... Um, they, <clears throat> they... They they don't really do anything to provide an alternative. They just sort of, like, exist to sort of say, hey, we need to make sure that we keep things, like, a little bit less horrible here, at least rhetorically, but we'll actually do the same stuff. We have a Democratic governor in Louisiana and I keep <laughs> yeah, saying this over and say. over again, <laughs> who, lo- who, who like... he to his credit he just like over like vetoed a very awful bill against trans people Mm -hmm. uh that just got passed by a very sneaky measure in the legislature but but he's also done awful things in terms of like abortion he signed the like one of these six-week heartbeat laws when Mm -hmm. when people always associate with you know republicans and he's got the exact same position with republicans on abortion that they do
1: yeah. I mean, I think that's sort of like gets to, to it. Like it'd be one thing if like people were being given a kind of more radical or economic populist or ideally maybe socialist option, you know, and they were choosing reaction over that. But like, you know, for the most part, what you get is, um, you know, we're just going to be, uh, we're, we're going to sort of tail the right. And yeah. um, you know, so vote for us if you want a little bit less of the other stuff that there, that these other people are running on. And like, you know, it hasn't worked. I mean, like, you know, I've barely ever lived under a Democratic administration in the state of Texas, right? You know, we haven't had a statewide official um, in, in, in the state of Texas since Ann Richards. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and Texas used to be the hotbed of progressive politics in in this country. Um, and, you know, the past 30 years or so have been disastrous for that movement. And, like, there's a kind of refusal to sort of reckon with those um lessons i mean from my friends who try to do this work of maybe seeing about getting involved with the democratic party from what i i've heard is the the texas state democratic party is extremely hostile uh to newcomers Mm -hmm. um they're extremely hostile to a lot of progressive kind of politics and like you know you're starting to see some pockets develop um you know, obviously in, in cities like Austin, San Antonio and Houston, you know, but at a certain point, if you just continually get destroyed by people like Craig Abbott and Ted Cruz, <laughs> you know, there, there's a, a real problem. And I think like one thing, too, and like, the, you know, I usually have to make this pitch to like a non-Southern audience. But like, you know, one of the points that I usually make to folks, um, you know, from outside um, is that also remember that like the vast majority of working people just aren't voting in the first place. Yeah right and ostens and like I- effectively like the republican primary in the state of texas is the election um for most people um you know so like there's not really a lot of opportunities for people to get involved and demand something um different um and i think that you know people have uh, most people around me most working class people around me i think have a general suspicion of politics um
0: yeah. oh 100 percent. yeah and
1: I think it's it's not missed. It's, it's a
0: good. It's a, it's a good, yeah. They have for good reason. They have every reason to feel that way because politics, like like. Like, politicians are such scammy liars, man. Like, it really is the case. And, I'm like, sorry. it's it, it,
1: it, and it's tough because, like, you know, I mean, I, I don't think that that's, like, a, a thing that I want to see permanently. Like, I want to see, like, high voter turnout from working people. I want to see, you know, working class politics win in this state. Um, yeah. But it's an uphill battle because, you know, people have had folks come into their community and say, you know, support this, support that. Um, all their entire lives, and things don't get better. And also, like, let's also not forget too that, um, you know, because this always gets like, I think, I mean, like, you know, significant parts of the population in Texas do vote for, you know, a Joe Biden or an Obama or a Democratic mayor or a Congressperson or whatever, right? So, you know, the idea too, sometimes people flatten it, right, and they just act like it's like ninety-five percent of the state is like Republicans, like, yeah, no, it's a lot, you know, it's it's significantly closer, um. than than that as well, right? And it's just like, you know, people don't believe you when you come and knock on their door and you say, I want to fight for this or I want to fight for that. And like, I think the job of, you know, progressives and democratic socialists and groups like that has to be to start convincing people that actually, yeah, like engaging in politics is something that can change your life. And it's a tough... You know, it's a, it, it's a tough thing. You know, it's a tough pickle to get out of because, yeah, as people <laughs> in their lives have experienced, mm-hmm. um, you know, you get promised a lot of good things and they very rarely materialize.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, let me pause real quick for Station ID. You're listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. Jeff on the show. We have guest from Left Reckoning, David Griscom. Uh, we're talking about Southern politics and also about sort of the, the sort of Disengagement that many working class people tend to have when it comes to uh, politics, uh, just generally, uh, most people don't vote, most people don't get engaged, and we were just saying that it comes for very good reason. Um, I mean, I would argue it's for good reason because mm-hmm. they 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 really are getting nothing to offer, even at the national level. I mean, it really does feel like like the you know again, the most pro labor administration in the history of this country, which is actually probably true. <laughs> um, it, it, I mean, I'm not even joking, or, but, like, they just busted a nationwide railroad strike. Mm. It's just, like, one of these sorts of situations where it's, like, this is, like, lowering expectations to the point where the best you can get ever is <laughs> is going to bust this nationwide railroad strike, you know. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to sort of kind of push forward that that point mm-hmm. um, to the perspective of like internal strategy of these like, like power brokers within these parties which tend to I think divide people up geographically mm-hmm. and they'll say that like oh any kind of progressive movement or whatever is coming from New Orleans and that can fly in New Orleans or that can fly mm-hmm. in Baton Rouge or whatever or even Shreveport or Lafayette or whatever if people want to be really froggy about it Um, But like it would never pass in, you know, New Iberia or whatever, you know, and and, uh, that's sort of like a way or like the North Shore of Louisiana, of New Orleans, which is like KKK country, uh, historically speaking. Um, But like that's sort of weaponized by these power brokers to essentially divide urban and rural uh, working class people. And mm-hmm. and to sort of like smash up any kind of alternative to the one way that politics can be done, which is tailing Republicans, like you mentioned earlier, by, by basically being like the, the Diet Coke of reactionary.
1: Yeah, I mean, and like, you know, even worse than that, I mean, um, you know, we're, we're seeing right now that, you know, because they do the same thing. It's like that can work in Austin or that can work in San Antonio or Houston or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the state government in, in Texas is basically trying to preempt and block. Municipalities and localities from yeah. doing any kind of politics, right? So that's like shut yeah, out. Yeah, to literally, YouTube.
0: what was it? Austin that passed paid sick leave like four four years ago or something like that, and the state preempted it, right?
1: Yeah, and they're trying. They're working really hard right now. Um, I think very likely to. Um, you know potentially go through you know basically something that would prevent like a vast majority of like laws or regulations when it comes to work and and a whole host of other things coming from the you know from the cities and like the argument for the republicans is that like texas is a state for business we need to you know have clear laws and we can't have different laws and you know which is ludicrous right because it's just like any other any other system any other state you know operates in that way that you could pass citywide ordinances and things like that and also like let's be really clear about what we're talking about here friends like we're talking about water breaks for construction workers, you know, in a state. I mean, it's one hundred five degrees here yeah. today. You know, literally, I mean? I'm, get,
0: I'm getting, I still get the um the notifications from like the text alerts that basically say it's gonna be hundred. It's gonna have, the feels like temperature going to be like hundred and fifteen degrees in New Orleans right now.
1: <laughs> And, you know, and it's it's really tough because, um, you know, like I also don't want to be too doom and gloom about it because like there have been like a lot of really exciting and successful moves here. I mean, one thing that's been really um, exciting here has been using ballot initiatives in in cities, which is why they're so worked up about trying to block those, Um, you know, in the the 2022 election cycle here, which was a complete wash for Beto and and the Democrats um, in the state of Texas. Yeah. they uh, they pushed, um, you know, they were able to get uh, marijuana decriminalization in, I think, about five cities here, right, which is massive. Um, there's been fights about, you know, how that's enforced or whatnot, um, right? So, the, like, there's there's this thing about, like, you bring questions to people, and more often than not, like, you're going to see the, this more progressive vibe. And, um, you know, Denton, Texas endorsed Medicare for All, right, um, which is, you know, is important, Um You know, obviously, it's just like an idea, but like it's showing that like their support for these kind of things. Um, San Antonio has a a good mix of like progressives and DSA candidates on the city council. Obviously, Greg Cassar from here in Austin Mm -hmm. um, was a former DSA member and city council um, member as well. Um, you know, so like, there's a lot of things that are, that are happening. There's been a push um, from the Texas AFL-CIO um, to support um, a just transition. They don't use that phrase exactly, but it effectively is a just transition for oil and gas workers here. Um, You know, so there's a lot of hope and like, you know, I I just because I always have to walk this fine line because like I get really bummed out about the state of politics and things like that. Yeah. But I'm also incredibly optimistic about a potential future and a break. Um, But it's going to have to take, um, you know, some some big strategy, some real mobilization and some commitment um, and and some more than anything. I think it's like having some farsightedness. Yeah. Um, where you're not just looking solely at like what each election result is telling you and sort of saying, uh, yeah. what would it take to build a base that can actually function on a statewide and ideally national level, mm-hmm. um,
0: gear? Yeah. I mean, I guess sort of like to kind of, kind of beg that question a little bit. I mean, if it's up to you or if you were be the person to answer that question, at least in a... You know, what are you thinking about? Could be a potential, you know, uniting factor for you know working people. What are you thinking? Because I have my ideas. I mean, I think you know the the
1: the, the classic slate of things like Medicare for all um, are things that are you know that that just. Um, at, at a certain point, like we've been arguing and pushing for this for so long that, like, we forget how mobilizing it can be. It's extremely mobilizing. Hell, I, you know, I just had to go to the doctor today and, like, I had that horrible moment at the end of it. I was like, oh my God, you know, how am I going to be able to pay for this? This system's so confusing, you know. Um, right. So that's just something that's always in people's faces.
0: I hope I don't have to get surgery, not because I might die or have to do the surgery, because I might not be able to afford the copay.
1: <laughs> no, 100 percent. Right. So that, that's something that's really mobilizing. I think here um, and I think like Louisiana, um, you know, we, we share a lot of, um, you know, similar industries, for example, like oil and gas, oh, um, you know, and like figuring out how we're going to deal with that and, and transition to, you know, green energy, renewable energy, I think is something that's really pressing and people can feel it i mean you know you talk to people here who went through winter storm yuri um you know when the power went out for days um you know and people died you know sometimes people just like a bunch of texans were cold for a few days people literally died um, during that 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 period um and you know so talking about real ways to deal with the grid um and you know and transition um to more renewable energy ideally you know also you know different technologies like nuclear and things like that. Like, I think these are things that we can make this argument because like, look, we pay out of the nose um, for for electricity in Texas. A state that is known for being an energy capital of like the globe, right? Oh, and you know, I,
0: I, I thought y'all made it like a free market sort of situation. I thought the I thought I thought competition was supposed to kick in. Yeah, it the, the competition. Well, the competition has
1: kicked in, and this meant that the price has gone way way up, right? You know, and it's like, and again, like you know, um, you know, these are these things that just touch so many people. So, like, you know, like you could do a real door knocker version of that instead of mm-hmm. my rambling. Is just saying like we're for like cheap green electricity. We're for Medicare for all or for higher wages for workers or for more protections um, for workers or for unionization mm-hmm. you know and these are things that are, are 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 massively um you know popular with people and there are also things that aren't just like because like you know in the Southern state voting's harder than it should be. And I'd like to see that change. Don't get me wrong. But in the context where it is hard, you got to give somebody some reason to go and stand in a line for two hours. And at a certain point, there are certain people who will show up to vote for like ideas and ideals. And there are certain people who will, uh, but a larger group of people will show up to do things that are going to materially benefit themselves and their families.
0: And their right to do that. Like, yes. like obviously like, when, when people are talking when you see like people on television talk about like oh you know people are gonna are voting their interests, and that's like a problem uh, <laughs> yes. on national television like it's just like no you're supposed to do that you're supposed to make sure that your family is provided for and that you can like live a decent life it's not about like whatever high-minded bs any of this is and like you mentioned uh the uh, you know unionization and um uh, you know, better wages for workers and the, the sort of like $64 question that keeps popping up for this, at least for me mm-hmm. is like, how do you get the unions on board and you, and have them sort of mobilize their membership. Right. I mean, that's mm-hmm. something that's like, and, and, and that would, that is something that would, um, I mean, essentially if you're getting, there could be like a virtuous consequence to that essentially where mm-hmm. you can also, if you're fighting with unions, as part of your program to get make it easier for unionization there is something material that the union can benefit from which is more members
1: i think that's a great point and also i mean i think more than anything is that you know we can talk you know till the cows come home about all the things that we want but until the left starts reflecting starts being constituted more of of working class people um this is always going to be an issue because like you know the question of like you know union leadership let's call it um Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, on the state level, on the national level, well, the answer has to be then, you know, you have to inspire the rank and file of these unions, right, to push for more democratic unions and things like that. But we can say that, uh, you know, like me as an outsider, right? Um, But what matters more is if we have a lot of rank and file members who are saying that as well, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's like one – I think some of the most immediate challenges that the left sort of has like post these Bernie campaigns is going to be, you know – being more rooted and and more based in in like actual working class communities and then um, than, than it currently is right now,
0: right. And it needs to, like organizations like DSA need to be more accessible to working class people mm-hmm. for, because unfortunately, like I mean, there's like a DSA convention that's coming up right in, the next, in a couple of months, um, and. One of the things like one of the ways that their leadership is decided and the agenda for the, the you know next two years is decided at this and I've, I've been a delegate to the convention I was uh, you know I was lucky enough to be able to do that. Um, it's really difficult in terms of like who has the time or who has the energy or who has the ability to take time off of work mm-hmm. to pay you know for convention fees and all this other stuff to travel across the country to get off of work for that. And then uh, spend hours debating all these, you know, particular issues. I mean, to a certain degree, it's necessary that that something like that takes place. But how do you make something like that more accessible for working people? Not everybody can get up to Chicago and be participatory mm-hmm. in this. And uh, that's sort of like another huge kind of component that, like, I don't have a solution for. But it's one of those sort of like mechanical problems that that happen. And, and, and honestly. Um, for like DSA generally, just like how do you have the organization be, if, if that's your solution to the problem, how do you have that be accessible to working people so that people will go to your meetings or go to your events or go to your whatever um, to, to be a part of it? Like how do you make it worth their while?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, hot take. Um, I do think, and you know, and I think this can change. I think it is changing. I, I think a lot of people who got into like left progressive or let's call them socialist politics mm-hmm. were progressives first and socialist second. Um, and I think that you know, there's a limit to how much like American progressivism is going to be um, attractive can uh, we, can to. We,
0: can, we, can we can we like really quickly uh, sort of when you're when mm-hmm. you're done with the, like can we just sort of like make like define these distinctions?
1: Yeah. um, I mean, like the thing that sometimes the reason it gets convoluted is because I think in the short term, um, you know, they're like in the immediate moment, like there's tremendous amounts of similarities. Right. All these these two groups um, share like a frustration at the corporate power in American society. Um, they're frustrated at the abuse that people of color and and women and, and, queer folk, um, experience in, in this society, they're frustrated with the lack of public services, right? So that's like the unity stuff. Um, the fundamental difference is that a, a socialist will say the problem itself is is capitalism, which is a system of private profit that allows certain groups of people, capitalists, your boss, to basically be tyrants and to dictate what you do on the shop floor, you know, at, at your job, et cetera. But on a national, on a political level, one, um, they, they they control the political system, not only in the way that a lot of progressives talk about that they can donate a lot of money to fund candidates, right, which is, of course, is a problem, but also because they have all the money, right? Yeah. And because they have all the money, that means when the government wants to do something, they either have to get that money from them in the form of taxes or they have to try to, you know, coach them or push them into doing these things. This is what's going on with the Inflation Reduction Act, right, which is supposed to be like our mobilization to fight climate change. If you look at what the IRA actually is, um, you know, it's tax credits. To hope that people with money do some things that we as a society might want them to do, and a socialist would say that like we don't think that uh, you know a private group of tyrants and babies basically should be able to make decisions like that. Um, that these things should be run publicly, um, democratically by us as the people, mm-hmm. um, right? And um, you can so like this is these are like long-term goals, and where where you get it like practically is like AOC, I think, is like a bridge, for example. Yeah. Um, between the, these like because I think that she uh, some people will say like oh she's a fake uh, democratic socialist and um, you know blah 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 and it's like I don't necessarily agree with that I think that she sort of operates in this kind of in between world and mm-hmm. I think a really immediate a, a way to talk about this is like with the railroad strike um, that they voted to break um, they tried to get some concessions from from Congress they failed and then they voted to break the strike and AOC says, well, I consulted um, workers on this, right? Which is a very different way of thinking about because then workers, instead of being like a class, right, mm-hmm. it's an interest group, right? So it's just like we're listening to all these different voices instead of sitting there as a socialist making an analysis about capitalism in American society. Is breaking a railroad strike good for working class power or bad for working class power, um you know you 're not asking that question, it says like i 've consulted all these different groups, and it 's just like it 's a tactic tactical thing that I think comes more from progressive thinking than yeah. like socialist thought
0: yeah I, yeah, and i mean yeah there's like a o c is a hotly contested sort of like personality on the left, which I think is just something that is. Mostly annoying because like that takes up a lot of oxygen and it a takes up way too much oxygen and like like it's it's for me it's fairly simple from the perspective of like hey, you know what that stuff is stupid and it is annoying, and like i, I you know considering workers to be like an interest group is like kind of insulting, I think, or it's definitely not like. Like or it's like, actually, wait. Like, but, sorry, like, do, do, sorry. Ahead.
1: Um, like, uh, like, let me rephrase it. Like, not even yeah. so much as like an interest group. It's an identity group, right? Yeah. No, so no, it's no. like, That's yeah. Not- so like, instead of you know what I'm saying. So like, it's like I identify as a worker, right? Yeah. Um yeah. Which is very different from like actually like no, do you work for a wage? You're a worker, yeah, right?
0: Yeah. Cl- class position, but the, yeah. Like also at the same time, like. Hey, she she speaks the language of politics. That is the way that they're done in that country. And that's a good thing, actually, Mm -hmm. to a certain extent. But also, like, like, I don't know, man, like, if you see that, like, she shows up to a teamster's picket line and hands out sandwiches and talks to workers like that's the I lived in a district where Steve Scalise is the is the elected, like, congressperson. Like, I'll take that AOC over that, like, pretty
1: 100 (laughs) percent. 100%. 100%. And like, that's, a, I mean, you know, people who listen to enough online media know like it's just a constant flame where people get so worked up about AOC. And like, I get called both, right? Like, an yeah. AOC defender and, and, and a hater. And like, no, I mean, like, I think that she does incredible um, work. I mean, particularly in popularizing ideas um, that I think should be made, um, you know, more accessible for people. She's wonderful at that. Um, in terms of like strategy and building like a working class movement, I also think that criticizing her solely is so wrong-headed because, like, if you think there's any problems with, like, you know, even what I was just saying a second ago, if you think that there's any more, any problems with, like, uh, rhetorical style or things like that, well, the problem is actually that, like, we have, like, her and, like, three or four other people in Congress, right? Yeah. Um, and, like, it will be less of a problem, like... Um, <laughs> like whatever like particular aspects of like the way that she talks or or publicizes things or d- does things like those go away when you, when you, we don't have to sort of put all of our hopes and dreams yeah, on a handful on of people. Person, yeah. And that's why I think, you know, these things get really paranoid and like really like, cause like she could be, for example, like the best and she could, um, you know, get all of these things, right. She could have voted against the railroad strike and that would have been one Vote against the railroad strike. You get what I mean. Like, you know, the problem. Like, sometimes people get really hyper fixated on this thing. And like, yeah, it does show that we don't have the organization that we need. It does show that we don't have the power we need. And we should be focusing on how to change that instead of hyper fixating on one person.
0: I want to I want to dig into that, but let me pause for station ID really quickly. You're listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3 This is Good Morning Comrade. Uh, David Griscom on the show for uh, one of the hosts of Left Reckoning. Uh, and yeah, so so. Again, it it speaks to the powerlessness of the left if a left even exists in an organized left even exists in this country, and it's pretty hard to argue that a organized left does exist in this country because it doesn't it doesn't have the ability to um, exert any kind of power, and and the only thing that a you know that an emerging left, which I think probably right now, if you looked if you compared this to like. 2000 i'm sorry yeah 2013 Mm -hmm. you know 10 years ago there is more of a left it is more of an emerging left or whatever whatever that means than it was than there was in you know that then there's more of that now since since probably around let's see um sanders campaign really was the biggest sort of like shot Mm -hmm. in the arm that the that that any kind of emerging sort of socialist movement has gotten in this country in the past what, 100 years and um the idea that like we can suddenly govern when the f- when we're still in the crib essentially <laughs> um really is um really is uh you know what it is it's 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 almost like like you you, you can you, it's it's hubris. It's, 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 it really is hubris from the perspective of, like, y- you don't know, you don't really know the score here. You don't know the, the, the power dynamics, and you're trying, you're just whining, essentially. Sorry. <laughs> I, I mean,
1: I think there's you know there's there's a decent amount of truth to that. I mean, I think that uh, if you look at like for example the history of the the socialist movement in this country when we were probably at our strongest, you know, probably would have been the, in the twenties and thirties, uh nineteen mm-hmm. twenties and nineteen thirties, right? Which you know for like a hundred years, years out from yeah. now. Um, but you look at you know where that movement came out of. It didn't just come out of like whole cloth. It didn't just come out because some guy was saying the right thing at the right time at the right place. It came Came because there were organizations that start were representing class interests, right? Like Eugene Debs, right, a famous, you know, presidential candidate, um, you know, socialist candidate, one who got the most votes out of any kind of socialist candidate ever in America's history um, in a general election, at least. Um, you know, this guy was a railroad organizer for years. Um, he was a part of the early, um, you know, the kind Walmart's of offshoots, right. yeah, and then then the offshoots of like the 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 populist movement, and then the populist movement sort of coalesced and like. Uh, materialized itself and honed itself into like a socialist movement, um, and you know, it it, it, it took a, a long time to be able to build up that that capacity. And what they were doing was not just like converting people, they were bringing in organic groups that were already existing. So, you know, unions, um, tenant organizations, and things like that, um, you know, along with, you know, immigrants and, uh, you know, other groups, but they also have their own social organizations where they're coming to the country. So, like, the thing that I think is really tough that we're sort of dealing with the fallout of, and I still think like the Bernie movement was like one of the best things that's happened to the left in a long time. And it was because of the path that we've taken while we have some of these specific issues. Um, but you know, basically, Bernie's stuff is like top down, and what I mean by that is, you know, that it's like we're rallying around a presidential candidate, and the second yeah. that that disappears, then we're like, oh lord, we what don't do have. We do now. <laughs> we don't. Well, what? Not only do, what do we do now, but we don't even have the grassroots because, like, the idea was that like that was going to create the grassroots. We have a lot of people who think of themselves as Bernie supporters or as socialists or as progressives or whatnot, um, but like those organizations that are sort of like the precursors to having a presidential candidate, like a Bernie. You know, we didn't develop. Those first, right? We sort of did it opposite. And now we're trying to go backwards. And I think we can do it. And I think the like the the lessons and the mobilizations and all these things that came from Bernie. I mean, us talking right now probably would never have happened in a (laughs) you know parallel universe, right? Um, um, you know where bernie d- doesn't run those those two times right so like it, this isn't me being pessimistic or saying those things were wrong it's like okay this is sort of why we're in in this this problem right now yeah. and we have to figure out how to take the people who are really committed who are like already thinking about themselves in this way or are part of these organizations and figure out how to sort of build up a lot of these you know social organizations and like labor organizations and things like that that haven't been developed and it's hard i mean it's it's like it's yeah, it it's is. a very big like historic project um but i also will say like <laughs> Like, it know, is you know, the as,
0: historic project
1: as somebody who spends a lot of time reading the history, particularly of like the southern labor movement and like southern politics. Um, when we had a stronger progressive movement and hell, like even like Texas, Louisiana, um, Oklahoma, Arkansas were the hotbeds of yeah. Amer- the American socialist movement. Um, and looking at that and, you know, I, I, all I'm saying is this is like you're building interracial unions in the south, in the 20s, and the 30s. You know 60 years after slavery right those are hard cards to you know be dealt and they did it yep. so like we you know we also have to have that kind of confidence that like as difficult as it might seem like we can do it too and take some inspiration from some of those previous movements as well
0: and even like some of the like again so the, that that is part of our history that exists in this very day you mentioned the the 20s and the 30s the the streetcar workers that went on strike and these interracial unions the famous sandwich, the po' boy, in this very city, New Orleans, is literally strike food. It originated <laughs> as a as, a, oh, as that's a beautiful as a potato sandwich that you know had gravy on it or whatever that they gave to the people on the strike lines. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like, it's really amazing to you know spend some you time learning you cannot this get history. Get rid of this
0: from our history. You cannot you can, you cannot divorce our history from that. I'm sorry.
1: And I think it's an important thing for the left to uphold those things too, because you know one of the um, you know, text, they, they were doing this back then too, and they do it now. It's like not only like, so you were talking a second ago how they're like, well, this might be like a big city thing, like a New Orleans thing, or, yeah. you know, that might fly here or there. Um, you know, but they also say about like socials, like, well, that's like a, you know, a foreign importation, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's yeah. like European or whatever. And like without even interrogating like that whole mindset, which I think is not great either. Um, you know, it's not true. Um, yeah. You know, like, like we, like, you know, if you're somebody from these areas, it's like, you know, you are, I mean, one story, like, I, I, I I don't think i have the time to go through it uh, but if people want to listen to it on on left reckoning I, i did a long thing and i wrote a piece in jacobin magazine on the fence cutting wars in texas which is a really radical fascinating movement um where like poor farmers black and white um, got together and they started cutting down the barbed wire fences that were being put up by these big landowners that were preventing people from having free public access to the land. <laughs> That's so uh, awesome. <laughs> but the way it's always taught or talked about in Texas is like, this is how law and order came to Texas because the Texas Rangers brutally put it down. And this is something that was so widespread across the state. So many people were engaged in it. And the population difference between Texas Rangers and like poor farmers and, and cowboys and stuff, it, you know, it's massive right you are far more likely if you're somebody reading that story today and you might imagine yourself to be like well oh, i probably would have been all those like no your family were the for <laughs> the fence cutters that the texas rangers were trying to blow up um you know um when they were cutting down fences yeah. and i think that like being able to claim that that history is really important and also like at the same time when the right wing is literally waging war on our history they're literally trying to say we can't literally. learn American history or Southern history anymore. It's a great time, I think for leftists and socialists to, you know, get a little backbone and say like, no, we're going to claim um, our, our radical history because like, you know, America has a really brutal history. And I think this is a, an important lesson for um, leftists to keep in their head. It's like, we have a really brutal history. Right. And I think a lot of leftists get that, but I think sometimes we overcorrect and forget that at every bad thing that happened, there were people who risk- risked it all to try to stop it and fight back and oftentimes they lost sometimes they won but like we owe it to those folks too who wanted a better south who wanted a better world to remember them and remember their struggles instead of just painting with this this broad brush because you know these bad things that happened were done to us right they were done to all sorts of people um and you know we we should remember that people resisted and they fought back too and we have a mm-hmm. proud history of that
0: yeah and and i mean honestly we have the opportunity to be a part of future history by, by also participating in the never ending struggle. Absolutely. <laughs> like, absolutely. Like that, it's, it's our responsibility to do that. And if we don't, then we're also sort of like we're, we're sort of, I, I almost see that as almost like a, a, a middle finger to the people that have gotten to this, into this position that we, that we're in now, the, 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 the little that we have, you know what I mean?
1: No, I think I t- totally, I mean, and, and it's like, and the stuff is also purposefully like hidden, um, because it is so dangerous for the ruling classes, for the people who don't want you to know this stuff, um, they they do they they work very hard to try to hide these stories or to try to paint them in different lights. And no, like the you know the South in particular just has this incredibly radical history that I think even a lot of Southerners like aren't aware of, and you know that's by design. Um, and like that makes it even more of a responsibility of us to yeah. you know do that work and look around and, and 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 investigate a bit, and you'll find a lot more. Um, stuff that like, well, really, I mean, I'm always amazed when I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know how deep the, the, the socialist party was rooted in, in, in Texas through my, you know, state education here. um You know, I had to find that out as a grown man, you know, way later, um, but it was amazing to learn. And also finding out that, you know, my part of the state obviously was the hotbed of it, it made me very proud, um, you know, but like, it's, it's out there. go to there. the
0: places where that stuff happens. A
1: hundred percent. I've done it. It's cool. <laughs>
0: Um, and and also like yeah and and, and it's, that's not that's not even unique to the South but I mean mm-hmm. obviously like uh, there there was a heavy socialist uh, presence in the Midwest mm-hmm. and also like places like Nebraska and Kansas and like uh, that's where a lot of populism sort of was like most notably like most powerful. Um, I mean we have our own history I wouldn't call him a socialist exactly, but Huey long was a uh, was a I mean he's a hotly debated figure obviously mm-hmm. but 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 he, I mean he basically um start got his entire start by giving textbooks to black children <laughs> and like now th- th- there's obviously a lot more that that ended up going into it but i mean that's sort of like a part of the sort of populist history of this 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 country i mean the this, this state really and, mm-hmm. and also the country i mean he was on a he was on a most dangerous people in america list by fdr yeah. which is also very funny um not i mean <laughs> Because of his uh, r- like heavily redistributionist redistributionist, so we, c- we could definitely agree that 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 was the uh, at least rhetorical tack that he was taking uh, policies.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, like, you know, and like people like, you know, Long are obviously, uh, you know, controversial for good reason, um, yeah. you know, but remember that like somebody like that, too, was like having to grab on to those, um, you know, popular policies, because there were significant socialist and, and, and populist movements that were demanding them and were organizing mm-hmm. around them. And he see, and he saw something that's like, Oh, this can win.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, and well, like politicians this
0: is, are opportunists of nothing else. <laughs>
1: And like, this is the thing with the the, the, the whole host of the, the populist movement, effectively, like it, it ends up becoming co-opted by the Democratic Party eventually, um, yeah. because, you know, they, it started out more as like a third party movement. Um, and then, um, you know, some populists basically embedded themselves within the Democratic Party you know, very controversially because of what Southern Democrats basically were. Um, that meant like turning back on a lot of like the you know interracial um, populism um, that that you know sort of was a hallmark of of a lot of the populist movement. But the people who rejected that you know they created the you know the socialist party. Uh, of of the usa right and um you know they were very influential in politics even if they weren't winning it was just like if somebody is promising this kind of good thing for working people then the opportunist politicians would grab a policy like that because they knew that it was a winner
0: yeah they got they, they they much like we're uh, encouraging working people to vote for something that is in mate- their material interest we can always rely on political figures to act in their own political interests so i mean no i mean we, like and look if we make these kinds of things in their political interest for them to support such issues i don't give a damn what's in your heart i really don't <laughs>
1: No, and I mean, like, if you look at FDR, um, you know, and some of my comrades are like way more FDR stands, I would call them. I think that sure. FDR is certainly like one of the m- rightly most popular presidents in American history because, you know, he did a lot for people. Um, look at
0: all, it, it, it's a low bar. Let's just put it like that. Yeah, <laughs> um,
1: you know, but it, it came at the expense, unfortunately, at, at, at sort of derailing a lot of like the more radical politics that were bubbling up. But the point is, is that like the demands like you read like the early the the, the founding Document of like the American Socialist Party. Um, and like a significant amount of those things end up becoming parts of the New Deal later. Yeah. And it was because those people were advocating and fighting for them. So it's like, I think also, like, you know, this is what I was talking about like way earlier, I was talking about like having like being farsighted sometimes too, mm-hmm. recognizing that like being engaged in struggle, even when we lose. Um, it, it, the idea that like it's a zero sum game—if like if you don't win this election, if this movement doesn't win that in this moment—that you know is all for nothing—is just ahistorical. Um yeah. Because you know the, these things—you know—they they bubble up again later.
0: The struggle is long, and and you just have to you, you just have to keep plowing ahead. Like for real, you don't know necessarily what the. Uh, the outcomes of every individual fight is going to be, and many of them you're going to lose. But if you can drum up support along the way and, and, and really organize, and, and when it comes to the to modern the modern left, mm-hmm. uh, actually build relationships and engage with working people. Hello, we need to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you yeah, sorry, you, you, you go. But no, no, but like, but like that's that's that the, the, the benefits. You, you know, you might not see them in your lifetime, but your children's lifetime or whatever. That can be that can be there. Go ahead.
1: No, I mean, I was just going to say, too, like we were talking about when we sort of got into all this, like, you know, people spending time being part of these organizations. And like, you know, I think that that's a very serious question about capacity, right? Like you should be able to find ways to, for example, fund people to go, um, you know, to to a conference or something like that. Like if you want participation, I think it's Mm -hmm. undoubtable. Um, But also like, you know, in in the question of like, well, people want to show up to meetings um and and put time into this when they're already so busy which i think is like a very reasonable thing that we should be thinking about people will if they see that that's something that's going to improve their life do you yeah, know what i mean exactly. um and like i think the problem is is that like you know while we're sort of like in this crib stage as you were calling it earlier you know it becomes you know it, it becomes something that like people who are really committed are going to be the ones who are going to be showing up first dedicating their time first and then as we build more capacity. Um, you know, more and more people will be showing up. So, like, the question, you know, like, there's because this is a constant, like, lefty thing is like, you walk into the room of a bunch of socialists and you're in an organization, you're trying to do something, and somebody will come up and be like, Where is everybody? You know, we're like, why is this group not here? And it's like, I don't think that saying that is like, you should absolutely be aware of that, right? Um, but also be like, Well, there's people here right now, and what can we do to sort of get us to that next? um that next step you know to try to fill that lack and the way that you do that is by like making it so that like being a part of these organizations or being a, just close to these organizations can open up doors i mean this is something you know for a dsa for example right you know this is why i think that you know finding places where we can win and building up an electoral arm is like really beneficial because like like let's say for the maybe parts of the population that aren't really tuned in um, or aren't going to be the first ones to show up at a dsa meeting if they start seeing that being a part of the New Orleans DSA or the Austin DSA or something like that is a way that like can get like things like demands from their community, right. They don't even have to be the big ones that we're talking about, you know, just like, um, you know, fixing uh, roads or something like that. Right. If they know that like going to the DSA and saying like, Hey, we need to demand this and push for that. And like, by making that, you know, the, that that's the group that you go to when you want to get something done like that is a very short term and I think achievable goal um, for a lot of socialists to sort of put as like this is our immediate thing. We want to be thought of as the people who can get things done for working people if you come to us.
0: Yeah. And also campaigns that can be, provide political support. So like maybe somebody won't become a member of DSA mm-hmm. because of whatever this or that reason. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But if they'll participate in the DSA New Orleans, like, anti-entergy campaign which is like another one of the local power companies (laughs) um if they if they're like yeah i'll sign this petition i'll show up to the march i'll do whatever like what more can you ask from somebody who's got a life than kids or whatever you know and a job and and that's 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 that is that is a huge dub if you ask me
1: i think so man i think so
0: So um, let me pause real quick for station ID. You listen to WHIV LP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. Uh, And so I guess I wanted to wrap up uh, just sort of talking about um, (laughs) another thing that's been sort of hotly contested, especially over the past couple of weeks. I saw you tweeting actually a (laughs) hilarious message. But if you could just sort of like run down so so if you could run down the sort of uh, Cornell West. presidential election uh people don't, i mean a lot of white people listen to the show cornell west is like a legendary figure in the in the civil rights struggle and he's uh, a very important person especially like to um to, to black folks especially people that have gone to historically black colleges and universities mm-hmm. um and uh he's running for president right now uh he had originally decided he was going to run for the election for the um for the the people's party which i don't even want to talk about them they're a bunch of like weirdo <laughs> freaks um if you ask me but like he ended up just today to, uh like by the green party do you want to talk a little bit about like what the you know what a sort of like emerging left how we should relate to these kind of uh campaigns and especially in this political moment where like the joe biden like anesthesia is still like putting us all to sleep and you know Donald Trump and Mm Ron DeSantis are trying to like make everybody hate just like hate trans people or whatever
1: you know I mean I think it's like it's it's going to be interesting and there's a bit of it that's very complicated and a bit of it's that's very simple just talking about me um you know personally like I think one of the easiest political decisions I'll ever make in my life is when I walk (laughs) if I could walk into a polling place and a box next to uh cornell west i'll be very happy um (laughs) we're not just talking about me um you know as like the left it's just like it's definitely um you know difficult um The thing with the Cornel West um, thing right now is that like I need to see, for example, what this campaign uh, ends up looking like in terms of like how much momentum and mobilization that it can get, Um, because um, I I think that like the initial launch with the People's Party was a little bit disastrous Um, and, uh, you know, it, it doesn't look very good. Um, you know, but Cornel West as a figure is, I mean, like incredible, as you were talking about, like extremely unassailable character, (laughs) incredible, he's an incredible speaker. He's somebody who is a socialist, right. Um, you know, who talks about, um, not just money in politics, but like the power that the rich have over society. He's somebody who does that in a, can do that in a really great language and like, you know, it can command like the history of the American struggle, American art and, and music and, you know, philosophy right he's like an incredible he's a guy you want to see on stage right just to to, to, to watch him on stage Um, you know so like Um, you know so that's that's that I mean um, but zooming out um, from even Cornell West like where I'm at right now is like um, so much of the left movement right now is like hyper fixated on presidential politics and I get why it's because like you know it's the most exciting thing it's the time where like everyone gets to sort of be asked their opinion on politics even if it's filtered in the way that it is like Democrat versus Republican or even voting third party right like you get to make a statement about your ideas and like you know I don't want to you know attack that too Too much, but um, I think this hyperfixation isn't um, helpful right now. Just going back to what we were talking about earlier, because like what we really need to be doing is building a base, and that's the thing that we don't have. So like there's all these questions like, oh, should we not vote for Joe Biden, or should we vote for Cornell West, or should we not vote at all, or do this? And at at a certain point, it's just noise to me because there is no us at this point, right? Like if you had an organization that could say. you know, we represent 10% of the electorate, let's call it. And they were making decisions. We're going to vote third party. We're not going to vote. We're going to vote for this person or that person. Then it's like an interesting strategic conversation. What we were really talking about right now is disparate individuals going and making, you know, an individual decision. And like, what we need to do is to, change that um into like actually being something that's a part of some level of a collective ideally something that's like a represent that represents like the working class Um, you know so like i don't know i'm back and forth with the west thing because like you know it's really easy for me like west i think is, is is great i think um you know he's he's a really great figure and he can articulate a lot of these things I worry if this vehicle is going to um, you know, continue to sort of drive us in this like fantasy that basically the left is going to be able to reemerge as a strong national force like yeah. via presidential campaigns. I'm very pessimistic yeah, on that. You right
0: can't now. you can't reverse engineer a movement. Right. Yeah. And and honestly, uh, and I think I do actually genuinely believe this that like like Bernie was probably the best shot, and I said the same exact thing about Marianne Williamson. And I, I like her less than Cornell West, even though mm-hmm. I think that it's the smarter strategy to go within the Democratic Party or whatever. Um, maybe people disagree with me on that or whatever. But like, um, like they can expose the the policies and mm-hmm. the positions of of a sort of you know a sort of leftist perspective or a working class agenda or whatever. But if you don't have a movement behind you, you got nothing. And you know the closest that we had to that was Bernie, and and I think unfortunately the other two we have much less of.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean like it just for me and like it, this not good for business for me as like a yeah. politics talker for a living. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that my answer is so yeah, boring true. is just like that we just need to like we, like what we really need to be focused on is is building a movement and like maybe yeah. like if there's a way that is, is dual track for example with this like if the west campaign like is able to start building up that that kind of movement i think that's great i'm i, I it's just so early it's hard for me to see um, because basically like before West announced, I mean, I had been saying that like, I like don't, I think you could reanimate like any great figure from history, b- bring back Debs himself, right? And uh, I don't think that would do it. And like, this is like, th- this is sort of what I'm getting at. Is like less about West or anything like that. It's just like, I don't think that like the, the silver bullet basically is, um, you know, a, a certain person rather than like actually building that, that kind of yeah. movement. Um, you know, so I'm not saying to not be interested in these things or to not pay attention to them or not even to be excited by them. Um, but don't like hyper focus, hyper focus, because I'm sorry, like as somebody who's done this for a while and has been through a few presidential cycles, it sucks up all of the air out of the yes. room. And that's the only thing that anybody talks about in, in political media or just like the news in general. And I, I don't think that's good when we have all of these fights that are in front of us. If it could be something that's, you know. Attached to other stuff, I think that's great. And I think that that's more the reorientation that we need more than anything.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, as uh, – well, I'm, I'm maybe a little bit more like I, – I, I am genuinely in a position of like we kind of – like I, I was actually excited to ignore a presidential election for one time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I'll just be like grilling the entire four years. But, but I mean, obviously – but obviously i'm I'm exaggerating. You but uh, <laughs> obviously, I'm exaggerating. but like, um you know, just just having a little bit of time to, to to not focus on all of this stuff that we actually don't have any influence over would be nice for focusing and drilling down on what we need to do where we're at now. So I guess we're saying kind of the same thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's like, again, this is like, that's where I'm at. It's like the number one goal is to be building the movement. And look, if these yeah. things can be the shock that's needed, I am here for it. I'm yeah. just, I'm, unfortunately, I'm just too pessimistic at this point. We did it in 16 and in 20, and we got a lot out of it. And I just don't know how much more um, juice there is in that lemon.
0: Yeah. So um, as we uh, wind down, I uh, just wanted to... You know, where can we find more information about the show? You mentioned a couple articles in Jacobin as well. Where can we find yeah. stuff?
1: Yeah, yeah. So you can find us uh, Left Reckoning, Left Reckoning on YouTube. or also on all the the podcasts out there. Um, I, yeah, I write for Jacobin um, every once in a while. So I have a few pieces. I have a piece on Greg Abbott um, and <laughs> what he's done to the state of Texas. Um, is, he,
0: is he good or bad? <laughs> <Not> to, <laughs> I mean, you know what it's a it's, you know
1: the piece is about it's you know just as a little plug it's about how yeah. greg abbott has used covid the covid 19 um uh, pandemic to consolidate power by like using a really cynical reading of the Texas Constitution to concentrate oh, power. Oh my god! Oh. Um, so like it's 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 an it's a de- devastating He's a reality
0: figure. He and he, he and Desantis are very similar in the sense that they like they know how to wield power if they get they in that do. position. They do. They do. They're just monsters. And
1: and and like Abbott, especially, I think, doesn't get enough credit from the left for like how not just not how they know how diabolical he is, but like the yeah. guy knows how to push the law right up to that gray level yeah. and oftentimes even push beyond it. Yeah. Um, but that's the Jacobin. I also have written some history on um, the fence cutters, which we're talking about. I have a piece probably coming out soonish on the Southern Tenant Farmers Union, uh, which has a good Louisiana angle people should check out. And yeah, you know, uh, check us, uh, you know, you can listen to Left Reckoning on all the different podcasts and youtube and uh, we tried doing twitch but i, I i'm not enough <laughs> of a gamer to <laughs> to do that frequently
0: well that, that is a, that's until i get you on street fighter six
1: there we go there we go <laughs> all
0: right thanks brother <laughs> thanks everybody for listening this good morning comrade you listen to BHIV lp new orleans we love you bye bye all right sweet all right Bola, pon, bola, pon, bola, pon, bola, pon, bola, pon, bola, pon, pon, pon,